tall, dark, and handsome is no match for short, blonde, and 11. Yes, history. Chevy Chase. And Home Improvement's Jonathan Taylor Thomas in the story of a father-to-be and the son who will always be man of the house. Can't get any worse than this. Rated PG. Starts Friday, March 3rd at a theater near you. You like it a juice? Ah, uh, this was some lazy ass juice. It was. Um, as I was watching, well, welcome to Saturday Night Jive, where we talk about Saturday Night Live and Saturday Night Live related movies. This week, we're covering the great Chevy Chase and one of his last starring vehicles, Man of the House from 1995. Yeah, as I was watching this, I was like, this would probably be more fun if we were watching it together. What? Specifically the rain dance scene. I was like, I if I had someone sitting next to me while I was watching this stupid fucking montage set to everybody dance now, I think I would be having a better time. But I'm sitting alone in my bed watching Chevy Chase and George Went fucking dance to everybody dance now. And I'm like, ah, it doesn't have the same ring to it. I don't know. Uh, Man of the House. We're watching for Saturday Night Jive. I think you introduced that already. And uh, yeah, well, I don't know that it would have been more fun watching it together because I feel like uh, this movie was a black hole of fun. And I just I really I didn't hate it. No, it's not that the movie's bad. It's that Chevy Chase is bad. He seems very bored. As does I have never seen him give less of a shit in a movie than in this movie. Yeah, it was weird. Did you read the IMDb trivia? No, I did not. Apparently, they uh, he did not want to do this movie because of his recent failures. He had like uh, Cops and Robertsons, Nothing But Trouble, and Memoirs of an Invisible Man before this, plus the failure of his talk show. So he was like, Fuck, like, oh, this was after that, yeah. Uh, and it was right before Vegas Vacation, which was his last starring vehicle. But, yeah, apparently he was like, F- like, people don't want to see my face, I guess. Like, my last three movies took a shit at the box office. Everyone hated my talk show. So he wasn't going to do this. But then he read the script and he was drawn to the dramatic aspects of it. And so I think Chevy Chase thinks what? he's in a different movie than what he's actually in. And honestly, I will say it independent of just how, because there's also a lot of just lazy filmmaking in it. And we'll get to that. But like a lot of just people standing around and just, you know, not reacting in in ways that are like interesting from a blocking standpoint. But that that's fascinating to me because my big problem with this movie is I think uh, the thing I said at the end of it is it should have been meaner and less sentimental it should have been like a cat and mouse kind of thing between them. Like the moment that he realize he overhears the phone call and realizes that he's trying to get rid of him. Yeah. It should have been like, Oh, I'm going to get this fucking kid. Like they, then they start going after each other. And that's the joke. You have like one moment of that when he, they, I think he's talking to the Indian guy. And he's like, yeah, I thought you might like, that. like, it's like, like he's doing it on purpose. But then, then you get the sense that he's actually trying to be a good dad. No, after that, he should be trying to be a piece of shit. And then at the end, they should bond over the fact that they're both pieces of shit. Yes, that that is the movie I expected, and that is the movie I wanted. This is another movie in the long line of films we've watched for this podcast that has a misleading poster. The poster makes it look like it's madcap, zany, uh, Tom and Jerry antics between a kid and his stepdad. 
it's not that at all. It's it's one of the it's a bogus situation where it's kind of a touching little family comedy from the Disney Corporation. And I could I didn't rewatch it going into this, but I I want to say the trailer also suggested more of that kind of movie. I vaguely remember that from when I was a kid, but I could be mixing it up with Getting Even with Dad, which I think is a similar premise. Yeah, I I've, I didn't rewatch the trailer for this movie, but I imagine the trailer stitches together like the four pieces of Chevy Chevy Chase falling down, and that's the trailer. It's like, wait till you see Jonathan Taylor Thomas fucking Home Alone Chevy Chase, and Chevy Chase will be falling down a lot. But that's not the movie we got. Well, and I read a a snippet of a review on the Wikipedia that criticized it for being like a shitty Home Alone knockoff. That's what I wanted. I wanted a shitty Home Alone knockoff and I didn't get it. Yeah, because uh, we'll, we'll get into the plot in a second. But yeah, I just I want to touch back on what you were talking about, that scene where... Okay, well, I guess to explain that scene, we'll get into the plot of Man of the House. Man of the House, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, his mom's Farrah Fawcett, his dad left when he was a kid. Farrah Fawcett uh, wants to get remarried to Chevy Chase, but Jonathan Taylor Thomas doesn't like uh, the thought of having a stepdad. So to get rid of Chevy Chase, he signs them up for Indian Guides, which is kind of like an offshoot of the Boy Scouts, I guess. And then later on in the movie, Chevy Chase overhears Jonathan Taylor Thomas on the phone with one of his friends like, yeah, this Indian guide thing's working great. Like, uh, in a week, he'll be out of here. And Chevy Chase hears that, and he's like, oh. And I thought, like you, oh, Chevy Chase is going to start fucking pranking Jonathan Taylor Thomas now. No, what happens is Chevy Chase is like, oh, yeah? Well, I'll make him love Indian guides even more. <laughs> it, well, because he reacts like a real person, like a real stepdad who cares about bonding with his stepson would react in real life which is oh isn't it sad that he wants to get rid of me i'm not doing my job as a stepfather i'm gonna try to do better which yeah that's what a stepfather should do in real life but in a movie it should be funny yeah no there's no there's no zaniness there's no wackiness in this film chevy chase does trip on a skateboard at one point but that's about as close as you get um, also, since you didn't read the IMDb trivia, uh, let me bring two things to your attention. Uh, well, first, did you notice the Ryan O'Neill cameo at the beginning? Was that, oh, was that Ryan O'Neill? I know, was he the guy with the kite? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I didn't recognize him though. That's because I hate Ryan O'Neill. I, I thought of you specifically for that reason when he showed up. Uh, there's uh, an opening credits montage. Uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas is talking about. Uh, yeah, my mother, she, she dated a couple guys, but they all turned out to be duds. And then you see a guy flying a kite, and that's Ryan O'Neill, who was married to or romantically involved with Farrah Fawcett at some point. I thought, like, for like the last 10, 15 years Farrah Fawcett was alive, until I read the IMDb trivia, which said, Farrah Fawcett and director James Orr were in a relationship. On January 28, 1998, Orr was convicted of misdemeanor battery after attacking Fawcett for supposedly refusing his marriage proposal. Wow. So apparently Farrah Fawcett was dating the director of this film, who beat her after she turned him down for marriage. But that would have been, well, shortly after this, in, I guess. In 1998. This was 1995. Okay, wow. Okay, I mean, 
that didn't enhance my enjoyment of this film. I kind of <laughs> wish you didn't bring it up. I don't know. Well, no, it was just weird because I was like, oh, yeah. All that did was make me sad. Well, I was like Ryan O'Neill and Farrah Fawcett, they were married. But now I don't understand that cameo, unless maybe they were friends. Maybe it was like a um, a chances are situation where they were friends for a long time. And then, you know, an interdimensional uh, uh, incest ghost got them together at the end. Or something, because I'm pretty sure when Farrah Fawcett died, she was dating Ryan O'Neill. I so okay. So you think they were like she dated Ryan O'Neill, broke up with him, started dating the director of Man of the House. Man of the House director beats her. She she gets rid of him and then goes back to Ryan O'Neill. Either that, or I'm completely mistaken on the timeline of Farrah Fawcett and Ryan O'Neill's courtship. <laughs> and can I just say I don't care whether or not. She was with Ryan O'Neill at any point. I, whether or not Ryan O'Neill fucked Fair Fawcett isn't affecting me in any way. This isn't interesting to you, misdemeanor Honestly, battery it's not. against Fair Fawcett. Look, when we watched the big bus and we were like, hey, there's a magazine with all these bus facts. I was legitimately interested in some of those bus facts. I am not interested in the goings on of Fair Fawcett's apparently tumultuous fucking assault and battery laden relationships that's i i don't want to i don't want to talk about that or think about that well let's let's move over to the next imdb trivia fact uh that i that i i picked up i'm curious if you did the same deep dive i did but go on i i'm I'm, i want to see here for man well the only other imdb trivia fact uh i took note of was the role of chet bronsky was written first with john candy in mind but he passed away before he could even be offered the role. John Goodman was the next choice, but he was finishing filming the Flintstones and they wouldn't let him out of Roseanne. So then they got George Went. So <laughs> I just thought it was funny that they were like, it's got to be a fat guy. Well, I feel like that's an archetype that, that he fits well. But like, uh, there's I... no reason why the character of Chet Bronsky needs to be a fat guy. Like they don't show him like eating a big old steak or something or like he's, He's not farting or taking a big shit, but they were like, well, we, we thought about John Candy and they were like, well, John Candy died. John Goodman can't do it. George Wentz fat. I, well, I just think first off, this is a symptom of our podcast ruining you. You're like, he's a big fat guy. Why isn't he farting more? (laughs) (laughs) That's the only purpose fat guys serve in movies. But I think, uh, and we'll get to the mob subplot, by the way, later on, uh, (laughs) But uh, no, I think it's just a, um, like a, I don't know, like a, an aesthetic thing. Your lead character is a tall, thin guy, so you want a short, fat guy to counterbalance him as his best friend. All right, I guess. I don't know. That's, I, I mean, that's my thought behind it. Not that I would say that you need that, but if he was a, because t- he also has a tall, skinny friend in this movie. This was the deep dive I did that apparently you did not, uh, which is uh, the fucking clown guy. Silent Thunder. Silent Thunder? Did you look into him at all? No, but originally his role was offered to Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson, but he was busy with other projects. And then that role was offered to uh, Bill Irwin, who is a uh, very famous mime, but he he didn't want to do it. So they gave it to this guy. But no, I didn't read up on who actually got the part. Well, that's interesting that you, because again, I didn't read the IMDb trivia. My assumption when I saw this guy, because he's in the movie for no, like, there's no reason there needs to be a fucking mime. Like, one of the characters is a silent mime, like, just one of the dads in the group. And it's, it felt like 
Chevy Chase or somebody or the director saw this guy and wanted him to put him in, wanted to put him in a movie and said, All right, I guess they have a fucking mime friend. So I assume this movie, this part was written for him. It's weird that you suggest that he's the third choice yeah. for this character. So I guess they, it's, it's just, you know, a character that they had an idea for and they found a mime to fit it. But I, cause I instantly thought like this, this was like Chevy Chase's like, cause there's a moment where like they're working together to make him laugh and like building a tent. Mm. And I was like, Oh, I think Chevy Chase saw like a kindred spirit in this fucking asshole's shtick. But I looked him up. I, I didn't write his name down, but he, uh, he was, uh, apparently he was a, a mime with Cirque du Soleil. And he is known primarily for directing one of their most infamous infamous productions, Banana Spiel, which is like I guess notorious for like being their shittiest production. It only lasted like a few weeks, <laughs> and he got fired because of it, and has never worked with them again. Like he's a mime shitty enough to get fired by Cirque du Soleil. Well, <laughs> which how do you get? Because like Cirque du Soleil. It's like that kind of artsy fartsy bullshit where you can probably pass off anything as like you just don't understand how fucking brilliant this bullshit is. <laughs> Wait, you think he sucks so bad that they were like, no, we can't even pass this shit off as art. So you're telling me you could go audition for Cirque du Soleil, make up some shit, and they'd be like, ooh, interesting. Well, no, I think see, I think it's a con, but I think they have to be in on it. Like you have to have some degree of athletic talent to be able to do the weird contortionist shit. But as far as like the content of what they're doing, like it seems like they're like, they want you to think it's deeper than it is or has some sort of symbolic meaning, but it doesn't. It's just fucking bullshit. It's just weird crotches in your face. That's all Cirque du Soleil is. I'm not but, super familiar with them, but I, I didn't even know they had concepts. I saw them open for uh, Paul McCartney, I went and saw the Paul, uh, Paul McCartney concert, <clears throat> and I got there like a little late, uh, and Cirque du Soleil was performing on stage, and I was like, fuck, I'm in the wrong th- stadium. It doesn't seem like something that should be opening for a musical act. Well, it was weird, because it was just like people on like high wires, and like, you know, the hula hoop suspended in the air, and I'm, they're doing all these acrobatics, and then all of a sudden the curtain drops, and there's Paul McCartney comes out, and I was like, oh, okay, that, that's a weird fucking opening act. Yeah, you'd think you'd have, like, another musician. I mean, have bring Ringo Starr back. He's still alive, you know? He's got some songs. <laughs> I could play some drums. <laughs> now nah, we already uh, booked Cirque du Soleil. Book me drums. But that just, that fascinated me that, like, because it literally says on his Wikipedia page, he was fired from this because of this banana spiel thing and has never been invited back. Well, did you look up banana spiel? What was so bad about it? Apparently it was it was like a you remember that Spider-Man turn off the dark production? Yeah. It was sort of like that. It was just like a lot of shit happening behind the scenes, a lot of people getting fired and just not being able to put like like just different stuff that led to it not working out as a production, I guess. I got gotcha. you. All right. Well, any, anything else to say about the uh <laughs> the background of Man of the House before we get into this? Uh, no, in fact, let's start with, well, what I thought was going to be one of my least favorite tropes, which is sort of retconned later in the movie, but I, I feel like it's done very poorly because my first, I took notes and my first note is she's getting married and apparently hasn't introduced her son to the guy yet. Cause that's like the implication when he's like narrating and he's like, and now my mom's getting married and like, it's, but it's like, it sounds like he hasn't even met him yet and he hasn't, but. He also doesn't know they're getting married yet. That's just like a weird, like prescient narrator moment. And then, like, then the rest of the rest of the movie, he doesn't even propose to her until the very end. 
Oh, oh, okay. So I guess the opening credits is uh, is in, in flashback. That opening narration. I didn't pick up on that either. I guess. Well, it's but it's not though, because he still implies that he hasn't uh, met or bonded. Because by the end, he's his voiceover is clearly after the fact, because he's bonded with him and he he loves his new stepdad. But that voiceover implies he hasn't met him, but just the idea of the new stepdad is something that bothers him. But it's as still as if he. I don't know. Like he, for some reason, he knows they're getting married, even though they're not getting married at that point. It's just bad writing. Yeah, I well, because they're moving in together. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't propose until later. Um, my my first note is before that though. My favorite scene in this movie came like right in the opening credits when Jonathan Taylor Thomas is like, "Yeah, my dad left, uh, and he left the family when I was like four. And then you see the car leaving and just the dad, like, waving goodbye from the window of the car. And that's like a cynical sort of, like, dark comedy moment. Because the next line is, and he took his secretary with him, implying, obviously, that he's cheating on him with his secretary. But it's, I think there's a line that implies that, like, as a young kid, he maybe doesn't understand that. I think he says, like, he's taking his secretary with him to take dictation or something. Yeah, I assume that was what, like, the dad told him. Like, oh, I have to take my secretary with me because I... You know, she needs to work with me. But like, yeah, but then she waves too from the passenger seat, (laughs) which that that sounds like a fucking they came together joke. You know, I know that implies that the dad like went up to the house to grab his shit, brought his secretary with him that he was fucking leaving his wife for. and was like, hey, kid, uh, I'll probably see you around Christmas. Uh, Bye bye. And then he drives off with his fucking whore mistress. And then just waves goodbye from the fucking driver's seat of the car. Like, bye, kid, I'll never fucking see you again. Which, if that was the tone of the rest of the movie, if it was like a weird, like, cynical, dark comedy, like a problem child kind of, you know, tone, then that would have made sense and that would have been funny and, and I would have hoped, I would have been hopeful for the rest of the movie. But the rest of the movie suggests that they, I don't think they'd understand that that's funny. Like no. that, I think that they think that's just how it would happen in real life. I got, I got a big laugh from that scene. Because I thought it was a joke. Like, I thought this was, this, that scene of the dad waving goodbye from the car set me up for, like, a crazy-ass movie. But the movie's not crazy. And then I can tell that they don't think that that's a joke because they bring it back later when Chevy Chase almost gets murdered by Mafia Tufts. Yes, there is a Mafia subplot in this movie. He almost gets murdered by Mafia Tufts, so he misses Jonathan Taylor Thomas's canoe trip. And then uh, George Wentz like, well, do you want to come with us anyway? And he's like, nah, just leave. Uh, you know, I won't be any fun without Chevy. And George Went leaves and waves goodbye from his car. And then they flash back to his dad waving goodbye. So he's like, and he starts crying as if, you know, Chevy Chase leaving him in this moment is just as bad as his dad leaving him when he was a child. Which also is not earned at all. Like he's... Like, that's the moment where you're supposed to think, like, oh, I guess he was bonding with him and, and, you know, now it's dashed, possibly. But, like, I don't think, I don't think it's, it's necessarily given as enough weight to justify him feeling that way in that moment. No, because it, at this point in the movie, Jonathan Taylor Thomas doesn't want to go on the fucking Indian guides. He doesn't care about the Indian guides. So why is he so crushed that Chevy Chase missed the canoe trip? I, it made no fucking sense. It's just the memory of that, I guess, that sort of hits him. But, like, 
if I were him in that moment, I would go, great, I can use this as fuel. I can go back to my mom and say, he missed the trip. He's an asshole. Leave him. Yeah, and he kind of does. Because <laughs> Fer- the but next d- scene, Farrah Fawcett's like, why didn't you go to the canoe trip? And he's like, because I was almost murdered. And that's the thing. He never set- mentions it until, like, way later into the movie. Like, if he just said, like, hey, I'm a prosecutor. Sometimes this shit happens. Farrah Fawcett would have understood, at least. Well, no, yeah, he says he had... He had car trouble because he didn't want to scare them that he was murdered. But yeah, I just, that's so much of this, and yeah, it, now it makes more sense now that you said that the Chevy Chase was the thing that appealed to him was the drama and just the Disneyness of it. The fact that like everything wrong with this movie stems from the fact that the movie it should have been could not have been a Disney movie and needed to have Chevy Chase be classic amoral Chevy Chase. Neither of those things were true of this movie, so it couldn't be what it needed to be. Yeah, this is a very different Chevy Chase than than we've seen in any other movie. I mean, he does trip on a skateboard once. Uh, he does make breakfast, and the, the fucking blender lid shoots off, and he gets juice all over the thing, and he burns the thing. So there's, like, a little bit of Chevy Chase shtick there. But outside of that, like, yeah, there's, like, there's this is a very un-Chevy Chase role for him. And that that scene, the breakfast scene, well, it's it's two it's two scenes like right next to each other, where I had like a a fucking three sixty opinion. Where uh, before that, you have um, Jonathan Taylor Thomas's character is like manipulating them, like he doesn't want he's trying to say like he doesn't want them to sleep together. So like, and then you have that kind of like almost like a French farce kind of thing with like a bunch of people walking out of doors where they're trying to be together, but then he's like kind of fucking with them. And then my immediate reaction to that was like, fuck this kid. I hate him. I don't like what he's doing because the dad has already been established as like kind of a nice guy. And then in the very next scene, he's trying to make breakfast and he forgets to put the lid on the fucking blender. And he's like (laughs) trying to turn the thing off and it's like catching on fire. And I'm like, fuck this guy. He deserves everything he gets. (laughs) He's trying. He's got the book on step parenting. But no, that just, for whatever reason, that just completely soured me on his character. So now I just don't like anybody in the movie. (laughs) Um, well, Jonathan Taylor Thomas kind of put me off at the beginning in his opening narration when he's like, uh, yeah, we had to move out and we had to, uh, live in this real, uh, crappy loft. And it's a giant, like, palatial fucking loft. It's the most fucking beautiful house I've ever seen. That, I'm thinking of, like, the house we grew up in when we had, like, a little apartment in the fucking English village suburbs. And it's like, it was, like, dinky as shit. This loft is way bigger than anything we had as kids. Yeah. And we had four people in the house. And, uh, they have, they're, like, the only people with access to the roof, apparently, because the, the roof seems to be uh, entirely their domain. Like, this is the coolest fucking pad ever for a uh, 11-year-old. And he's like, oh, yeah. we had to move in this real small tiny lot I'm like dude you have plenty of space for your 11 year old ass let your mom fuck Chevy Chase uh, but yeah that, that was my second note actually was small loft is fucking huge and then right away I think this that because that goes into the scene in the courtroom my next note is Chevy Chase does not give a shit like from jump it's like he is not he is fucking phoning it in yeah, I don't know if he's phoning it in or if he's trying to give a more muted performance you think it's deliberate? I don't know. I, I I think maybe he went into this thinking he would give a more nuanced and, and muted performance and then realized that wasn't in him and that also wasn't justified by the content of the movie. And so he just said, fuck it, I guess 
my my deeper performance will be just not giving a shit. I mean, it's hard to tell with Chevy Chase because when Chevy Chase is giving a shit, it looks like he's not giving a shit. So, and then when he really because I've seen Chevy Chase not give a shit, and this isn't it. And the the weirdest thing is watch thinking of of Chevy Chase, especially this like what I guess you would call late stage Chevy Chase in terms of his successful career. And then contrasting that with, like, community-era Chevy Chase, where you know all the behind-the-scenes shit with that and all the people he pissed off and, you know, how just the work environment that he created just by being him and being an asshole. But I don't think you ever saw it in the character and the performance. I feel like he always... Like, because he would talk about how, like, he didn't think it was funny and would always sort of criticize it. But, like, he seemed to understand where he was and what he was doing and why it was funny and was on board and game for it at all points in that show, despite everything you know about going into it. But you don't get any of that energy here, where it's like he does, he clearly is not investing any kind of emotion or timing or anything in it. Yeah, no, it's weird, because he's, like, brilliant on Community. Like, up until, I think, the third season he stopped, or was, was it the third or the fourth season? Uh, well, the, the fourth season was the gas leak year, right? Yeah. What was the third season? That well, that was just the third season. I think that was the last season that Dan Harmon was in before they fired him. Then they had the gas leak year, and then they brought him back, and then they canceled it, and then they did the the Yahoo season. Yeah, season but six. Chevy was still in the gas leak year, right? I think so. I think he was in like an episode of the year that Dan Harmon came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, but no, because I was a hologram or something. I, I was just it, towards the tail end of Chevy on Community. You can tell he like doesn't really care. Uh, but for the, yeah, those first like three seasons, man, he's just freaking brilliant on that show. And I, I don't know what they did, what they put in his fucking lunch to have him give that performance. But well, now that you say that, he must have secretly respected Dan Harmon maybe more than he let on because it seems then that he stopped giving a shit the season he left when everybody it sucked. Like everybody else, I think was at least trying, you know. But he maybe he just stopped trying. Um. Yeah, they, I don't remember much about that season other than the puppet episode. But. Uh, in this uh, Chevy Chase courtroom scene, Chevy Chase is a lawyer, and he's putting away a big old mafia don. And the mafia don gets centered for uh, sentenced to 50 years in prison. And that's when I wrote, ooh, good, a mafia subplot in this children's movie. That's exactly what we need. And, and it pisses me off a little more in this movie because... But we talk about like what this movie should have been, the more cynical version of it. That's so obvious from Jump, like, oh, this needed to be, you know, more fun and more dark. And the, I feel like the Mafia subplot is how you just provided filler for all the fun stuff they couldn't do because they couldn't go in that direction. Well, we can't do that. So let's just have some fucking mobsters be after him, I guess. Yeah. Like this plot wouldn't, but they wouldn't bother with this if they'd actually done the movie we wanted it to be. I, I know. And I kept like... I kept thinking the movie was going to become the movie I wanted because uh, in the middle of the movie, Chevy Chase, uh, the Mafia Tufts, they cut his brakes. And so there's this high speed chase scene of Chevy Chase out of control on the in the streets going, oh, no. Uh, and he falls into the river. In my mind, I was like, oh, he's going to think Jonathan Taylor Thomas cut his brakes and we're going to start getting that cat and mouse thing. And, that would have been really good, too. The mafia, like the mafia is trying to kill him. And Chevy Chase thinks all like an arrow shoots through the uh, living room or something. Barely misses Chevy Chase's head. And he's like, oh, that Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Like that would have been hilarious if the, the mafia is 
inability to kill Chevy Chase kind of spurred on his uh, rivalry with his new stepson. Yeah, no, I, I I would be totally on board with that. I will say, though, and this is skipping more towards the end. This might be my favorite Mafia subplot of any of the Mafia subplots we've had on the show. I think it's my least favorite. <laughs> well, it I mean, for o- only because when they eventually follow them into the woods and you have this multi-part, it's not a joke in the context of the film. I don't think they think it's funny. But I thought it was fucking hilarious how they're just loudly proclaiming their their plot to murder to no one. That is one of my notes. It's a good thing these mafia thugs who are also on the camping trip like to relay their evil plans by shouting while Chevy Chase and Jonathan Taylor Thomas are within earshot. Hey, after we kill this guy, I can't remember his name, but they name give him his first and last name. After we kill this guy, I'm going to catch some more fish because this is really fun. Hey, boss, this camping trip's a blast. Hey, after we kill Chevy Chase. And then the boss does it, too. He's he's like, yeah, I know. After we kill Chevy Chase. You stop having fun over there, you goons. We're here on a mission to kill Chevy Chase. And that I was just because I think and it was a bit of Stockholm laughter because I just hadn't laughed too much the most of the movie. But that that fucking got to me. Uh, but like, no, I hated the mafia subplot in this movie because it it, it could have been anything. the The only reason it's there is, um, I guess, to have some fucking bullshit stakes at the end because the mafia goons uh, go or follow them on a camping trip, and then the Indian guides usurp them in a way that makes you go. Well, how the fuck did that work? These guys come in with fucking machine guns into the woods. And the Indian guides are like, oh, we got you with our bows and arrows and beehives. Well, that's and that the beehive was another one where they, they shoot the beehive down and the two monsters just go beehive. And they just start like <laughs> spinning around in circles. They're not even running away from the bees. They're just like shaking the, their hands up, up in the air and just like staying where all the bees are. Yeah, they're pretending to get covered in bees while uh, CGI bees fly around them in post-production. <laughs> and this is where I, I just I noticed the blocking because like. Things will ha- like that'll happen, and then Chevy Chase and Jonathan Th- Thomas are just looking at him, going like, "Yeah, isn't that great? How he got those bees on him?" And like they don't like it's not dynamic at all. They just like they just stand around and react boringly, and then they the the, the other mob guy catches up to him, and is like, "Yeah, I caught you for not running away." And then they're just standing in another area, just reacting boringly to almost being killed and it's just adds something about it. And then like after the 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 other Indian guides stop them they're just sort of standing around and going yep i guess we got them it's 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 not like the shots are just static and it's it's just weirdly it's the laziest bit of filmmaking i can remember seeing in a long time yeah it's just it's introduced and uh resolved very quickly at the end when it could have been anything it didn't have to be guys showing up in the woods with guns trying to kill chevy chase if you were making a more down-to-earth family comedy drama, wouldn't it be better to have them bond over something that's not a mafia subplot? Like, they could bond organically out in the woods, find a common interest, but no, they bond when they dispatch a bunch of professional goons with submachine guns. I mean, honestly, 
not to say that this is that great, but if even if you're going with cliches, I think Daddy Day Camp probably had a a more rewarding one with like the the idea of like the decathlon kind of thing or like whatever, like a test of strength where they have to work together to to beat it at the end rather than we got to stop mobsters. Yeah, no, I mean it could have just been something where, you know, Jonathan Taylor Thomas or Chevy Chase does something and Jonathan Taylor Thomas sees him as his his father now. And he's like, oh, I, it could have been anything. Did not have to be a mafia. He has to earn a merit badge or maybe the little meat kid gets lost in the woods and they got to help find him or something. Yeah, it could have been anything but this. And this just feels so artificial and shitty. But like the artificiality and shittiness almost made me enjoy it more. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's. It's more entertaining than what it could have been. But like, it well, could, like if you I'm trying to, to think of the other mafia subplots. They added nothing. Three men and a baby. Fucking uh, house guest. They were just there to be there to add stakes. Like you say, this it was so poorly done that I was actually enjoying it in spite of itself. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's it is kind of so bad. It's good. But like it could have been a cave in. Like George Went and the other Indian guides get trapped in a cave and Chevy Chase and Jonathan Taylor Thomas have to get it out and they have to work together and solve the thing. That would have been nice, but no, nah. <laughs> mafia when in doubt. Yeah, no, I just, it's, it's again, I, my instinct or my, my pattern throughout this podcast is every time we have a mafia subplot, which is fucking far too many times. I'm always like, okay, here's the the boring, pointless thing. So the fact that I'm remembering that, and I don't know if I'm remembering that fondly because it's the only thing I laughed at, and everything else just sucked that much worse, or that you know that's probably it. Now that I say it out loud, actually, yeah, no, I think it's it's the stupid part of the movie. Like we both wanted the movie to be kind of silly and broad and stupid, and that's the only thing in the film that's silly and broad and stupid. Like at one point. The mafia is in a car with guns, and one of the mafia goons, a big fat guy, is eating a big slice of pizza. Like, I wanted the whole movie to be that. I wanted well, that George Went to be eating pizza and fucking taking shits. Because I didn't even think of it in these terms until you just said that. But, like, the main conceit of the film, which is uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas wants to uh, get rid of his new stepdad. So he says, let's sign up for this Indian guide thing so that you'll hate it and leave, which on it just on a, alone is really dumb. Like, why would he think that that would be enough? And then they never do anything with that. I'm remembering the trailer now. And I remember that joke where he names him squatting dog was like a big part of the trailer. And that's like the only thing he does really to like make to like go out of his way to make Chevy Chase feel awkward or uncomfortable like the rest of it is like okay they do the rain dance and they go on the field trip or whatever but it's like oh i guess he paints his face but like nothing it, it doesn't do anything to really push that and that's the main conceit of the film uh yeah like i i think we were anticipating a different movie um, because he does do the face paint. He paints Chevy Chase's face after he realizes that Chevy Chase is allergic to certain things. So it leaves him with a big smiley face on his forehead in court. And and then they kind of abandon that. They abandon the prank aspect real quick. And then it almost just becomes like a kid and his stepdad having fun at uh, Indian Guide practice yeah. or whatever the hell you call it. And who gives a shit about that? I know. Uh, like I said, I, I think 
And I, that's what drew Chevy Chase to the film. I, I don't think this movie was ever conceived as anything more than just like a small little heartwarming family film. Because like, even, I'm thinking like, I, I don't know why this is the one that comes to mind, but I'm just thinking of Disney films, I guess, with like father-son dynamics. Uh, a movie that I think we've threatened to watch a couple of times, Jungle to Jungle, which... Like similar in the idea of like uh, a father's trying to struggling to relate to his son that he never knew, uh, but like I remember set pieces in that movie that justified the premise of like he grew up in the jungle, so he's like climbing buildings and shit. Like I feel like not to say that I I would anticipate that movie being good if we watched it, but I feel like I remember like oh I get like at the very least the fact that like big city man has to raise jungle boy like they at least pulled that premise off this movie doesn't even has a much simpler premise and doesn't even bother yeah um yeah i th- i think that's mainly just a fault in ad well i guess not a fault in advertising a success in advertising because it made the movie seem way more fun than it is well to be fair it didn't make either of us watch it at the time that's true it did take me over 20 years to finally catch up with this film. <laughs> and it required you to have a podcast with the most esoteric bullshit premise. That's true. If I didn't have a podcast where Chevy Chase movies were a viable option to watch, I probably would still not have ever seen Man of the House. Okay, well, I do want to go back a bit because there's one piece of my notes that I skipped over or we skipped over. There's a moment when uh they're talking about she's they're they're talking to each other uh Farrah Fawcett and Jonathan Taylor Thomas mother and son and they're suggesting that like oh she just wants an, a new man cuz she wants to have sex and T- Jonathan Taylor Thomas says like i know that women meet reach their sexual peak in their 30s that's got to be in your notes right i didn't take note of it but i remember the line uh there's a couple things wrong with that sentence <laughs> Well, the first thing being, yeah, why the fuck is a son saying that to his mother? The second thing being, in her 30s? I looked it up. She was 48 at the time of this film. I was going to say, I I didn't look it up, but I was sure that Farrah Fawcett was pushing 50. (laughs) But it's just such a weird fucking line to have. And like, I mean, and I guess somewhat indicative of like, they have a special relationship. You know, so they talk to each other differently. I, I mean, I can buy it, but it's just... In the context of the film that we actually got, it just comes out of nowhere. I just I wanted to th- I wanted to mention it. Yeah, no, I, I was I was not a fan of that. I mean, they do set up that Jonathan Taylor Thomas is smarter uh, than his age. He watches PBS and knows a lot of big words. But yeah, you don't need to include uh, talking about sex with your mommy in a Disney film. <laughs> Yeah. And that, yeah. And the fact that it's a Disney movie and it has that line in it. And I'm guessing there was, again, darker stuff that might have been cut from this version of the movie, but they left that in. Um, do you think they named Chevy Chase's character Jack just so they could use the Ray Charles song Hit the Road Jack? I didn't think about that, but honestly, probably. That was one of my notes. I was like, Hit the Road Jack. And I was like, Oh, that's a good song. And I'm like, Wait a minute, isn't Chevy Chase's character named Jack? I mean, I've just been calling him Chevy Chase the whole time, but pretty sure his name in the movie is Jack, and it is. Uh, this is uh, just sort of music and movie related, and I haven't talked about it yet because we haven't recorded it, but uh, for our my other podcast with Nate, we watched, uh, do you remember the movie The One, the Jet Li sci-fi action movie? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I saw it or not. Is that the one where and- he's twins? Well, he's like parallel reality versions of himself that okay. he's fighting. Yeah, I've seen that. And uh, it came out in like 2001. And uh, there's a moment where 
uh, it was. It starts out with the, that that the bodies hit the floor song, uh, and then the, like the, the the they're they're gonna send him to like a penal colony. They're putting him in this machine, and the the wah is like a sound effect that makes the machine go. Like it's it's just in the sound, but it's like they time it perfectly so it's like the sound of the the interdimensional machine is the wah from that fucking song, and it just it it floored me. But I don't know. I, I don't know why you just mentioned music and how it ties into the movies, and I was I keep thinking about that because I haven't had a chance to talk about it yet, and it's the only thing I want to talk about with that movie when we talk about. It. <laughs> uh, well, the only thing I really want to talk about this movie also has to do with music. The Everybody Dance Now montage where they actually do a rain dance. Yeah, and well, and because the, they bring in an actual Native American, and I was when I when I was thinking of that, I was thinking like, there's a fucking woke ass modern like reappraisal essay for this movie like a fucking youtube essay where they talk about like cultural appropriation and like how this this is like a metaphor for that I guess because you have I a bunch of white guys it. dressed up like indians and they bring in the one indian to be like tell us how to be indians <laughs> um i i it was respectful though i mean i will be completely honest when i saw chevy chase in an indian headdress i was like oh no <laughs> oh no this is not going to end well well you say respectful when they greet each other they go hey how are you <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that that's exactly respectful i don't know i'm pretty sure that's the uh the apache uh <laughs> colloquial greeting i mean uh literally contextually in the film Chevy Chase's character's only reference point for Native Americans is the show F Troop. I, know, I thought that was kind of weird too. He's a, he's telling a story, and uh, in his story, he uses a, a Native American accent, and then he prefaces it with going, "Oh yes, but uh, for people my, in my generation, our only uh, reference for Native Americans is F Troop." Uh, so I will be using that accent. So he like pre-apologizes for using the Native American accent for to set up a monologue that is not interesting or good or fun. No, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's not worth it at all. I I honestly, when he talks for like ten minutes, he's telling this story, and uh, I got to the end of that part, and I was like. Fuck, do I rewind? Because I just stopped paying all attention to what Chevy Chase was talking about. I mean, it's technically important in the sense that he's describing his relationship to his stepson in sort of, uh, what do you call it, uh, abstract terms uh, to t in the, the form of a story. But it's not like you're invested in that emotional relationship anyway for it to, like, matter. It's just, it's it's trying hard but in a different, like for a different movie, like if this movie had actually paid off all that shit, the emotional resonance that it was trying for, that would have been a, a powerful moment. But it didn't, so it wasn't. That's that's the drama, man. That's the that's the drama that attracted Chevy Chase to this project. I want to really dig deep into this monologue where I reference F Troop. This is my Oscar, goddammit. That's yeah. That. that I don't know. I, it makes perfect sense and makes no sense the more we talk about it that Chevy Chase wanted to do this movie to stretch his range as an actor. I know. <laughs> you look at the poster and he's got an Indian headdress and he's a little puppet being controlled by Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yeah, no, and that, that 
I was like the way you had fucking house guests like, oh, he's coming out of the mailbox. That puppet thing. Like, I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I was like, oh, that needs to fucking happen. At some point, I'm pretty sure Jonathan Taylor Thomas is going to shrink Chevy Chase down to puppet size and then do a little ventriloquist act with him. Pretty sure that's going to happen. Do it as a dream sequence, you know? (laughs) He has a nightmare where Jonathan Taylor Thomas turns him into a puppet. Yeah, we've said it before, but that should be a law. If something like that is on your poster, it needs to be in the film. But yeah, I'm pretty much, I have not nearly as many notes anymore. We kind of covered most of it. I did have one where, uh, remember when he kind of falls down the mountain? Yeah. Because it felt to me like that was like translating the normal, like, wacky, awkward Chevy Chase shtick that he does, but like turning it into a legitimate action beat. It was weird because he falls down the mountain, like, for a long time. It it almost feels like a like a joke, like a Three Stooges gag or something. Yeah, like but he, it's not t- the tone isn't that. He just keeps rolling down the mountain, and I, yeah, I thought it was supposed to be funny, but I don't think it's supposed to be funny because then he gets trapped under a log, and John, that's when Jonathan Taylor Thomas has to save him. So I don't even think that was supposed to be like a comical Chevy Chase fall. And that's just let's go back to the rest of this podcast. How many times have we said? I don't know. Is this supposed to be funny or is it supposed to be like, that's the the problem with this movie is like, it doesn't know what it wants to be in any scene and we can't figure it out. We can't figure out even if it's even a comedy yeah. and it's supposed to be, I think. I th- well, and that, I don't know. I think it's supposed to be more of a, a slice of life family drama with starring Chevy Chase for some reason. I think that's the movie they were trying to make. Yeah, well, if if it was going to do that, then they needed more something like maybe the kid's like dyslexic or has some kind of problem that he can, I don't know, something other than I hate my stepdad. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty much a failure on all fronts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't have any more notes either. Um, the only scene we didn't talk about that I took a note on is when, <laughs> when after Chevy Chase's breaks get cut, his boss is like, oh, yeah, um. The police report got back. Yeah, someone's trying to, like, murder you. You should, like, get out of town. Like, I'll transfer you to the Portland, Oregon office today. Like, you can just get the hell out of here until all this blows over. And Chevy Chase is like, no, I have to go on a camping trip. (laughs) Well, and that moment is so, like, if you told me that was the scene that he read in the script and was like, this is why I'm doing this, I'd believe you. Because, like, he turns dramatically and goes... What I, I have something more important than my life. Yeah. A camping trip with my son. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> it was just so ridiculous. Like if my boss was like, Hey, I uh, some guy tried to murder you, I'm like, Okay, can you like move me the fuck out of my house? Yeah, just explain that to them and then leave and then maybe they'll let you back. And then you cut to a sad little kid in a canoe going, Daddy, Daddy Because well, <laughs> and, the, and like, that's Nope, not my problem anymore. Because when Jonathan Taylor Thomas finds out, eventually, because he he sees the mobsters, he hears them loudly going, we're going to kill Chevy Chase. And then he runs back to Chevy Chase. and He's like, hey, I heard these mobsters trying to kill you. Why didn't you tell me that? If you told me that that's where you you said car trouble, but obviously this was that. And if you told me, I would have been mad at you. And it's it's like so like, let's just unravel everything. And then it's this is all good now. No, if you would have just told me mobsters were trying to kill you, I would have we would have done this home alone beehive bit to act sooner. But no, the only note I have left is uh, the very end, the voiceover, 
which is maybe the most useless fucking because it's like like wrapping everything up and like and this guy's doing this and this guy's doing that but they're all still doing the same shit my note is good to know that everyone still has that same one trait we established earlier in the film <laughs> it's true and they're like George Wentz still a good dad to his son and the, the fucking silent thunder still not talking and uh, the one guy is still a stickler for the rules and then why the fuck do you need to keep saying that they're still the same thing the little dweeby kid still gets stuffed in his locker on a daily basis that's one of the lines the epilogue is no one grew at all nothing has changed <laughs> except I like Chevy Chase now yeah and, and Return to Innocence by Enya is playing over the whole thing. I know, it's so, yeah, it, this, this, I mean, again, on top of everything else, this movie was just very poorly made. Yeah, at the end of this movie is Farrah Fawcett walking down the aisle and you hear, hey oh, hey oh, hey oh, oh. <laughs> Which I feel like would be a really shitty wedding song. <laughs> I imagine. Um, ah, uh, Enya. Okay, hey, I feel like I have an ending song for this podcast now. <laughs> but no, that's that's the end of my notes. Uh, yeah, I got nothing else. Alright, so... Let's move on to what we're going to do next week. Uh, I will say, after last week's episode, I curated my wheel, and I have mostly SNL episodes on it. A couple movies, but I was looking through the movies that I had on my wheel, and I'm like... I don't want to watch any of these. So I only have movies that I am actually interested in watching and episodes of Saturday Night Live. Well, can I tell you before we get there what came up on my first roll, which we are definitely not watching? I don't know why I... Okay, so what I did is I had like a, a list of movies for another thing, and then I just highlighted movies that I thought would work for this. And I, I want to give myself the benefit of the doubt that I highlighted this by accident. Have you ever heard of the the puppet porno film, Let My Puppets Come? I have heard of it. I have never watched it. And I assume you don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go ahead and re-spin my, my wheel. All right. Well, I, I got uh, The Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars, which you've nixed many okay. times, but hey... You preface this by saying you curated this list to only the stuff you want to watch, and that's on it? The Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars? Yes, it is. Uh, no. I don't want to fucking watch it. Right. I never want to. Well, I just got Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li, which I've wanted to watch forever. Uh, you, you have fun watching that. <laughs> Nate's always talked about it as like a spectacularly bad film. Uh, all right. I got, uh, Folks starring Tom Selleck and Donna Michi. Uh, oh, wait. I was thinking of something else. What, what am I thinking of? Uh. Dads, maybe? Or Dad? Uh, there's a movie called Dad, I think, with, is that Tom Selleck? I, I, is it Tom Selleck no, I think and Jack that, Lemmon? that's, I think it's Tom Hanks and John Le Jack Lemmon. Oh, okay. No, Folks is, uh, I watched the trailer for this once, and it, it looks like the movie I want, I wanted Man of the House to be. Uh, Tom Selleck, uh, his old ass parents move in with him and cause a bunch of crazy havoc. And I believe Christine Ebersole is in it. Okay, we'll keep that on the list. That's a possibility. I got Lust in the Dust, the Divine. <laughs> the Divine? Yes. Uh, I, I'm not interested in watching that. Uh, well, then the next one is Ready to Rumble, the Ahmet Zappa. Oh, with David Arquette and um, yes. Scott Kahn. 
Yes. I've never seen it, and I've always been curious. That's a maybe. Uh, the SNL episode hosted by Michael Douglas, which I put on the wheel because I looked it up. It's got a sexy Mary Gross sketch in it. I mean, are you saying that because you think it will entice me more? I'm saying I put this on because I edited our Tremors 3 episode, and I, I was... A, took umbrage with the uh, lack of Mary Gross respect that came out of your mouth. And so I was, I looked, I looked through SNL archives and I found a sketch where Mary Gross is fucking sexy as all hell in the Michael Douglas episode. Okay. Well, I got No Holds Barred, the uh, oh. Hulk Hogan wrestling movie. Uh, with Hulk Hogan and uh, Kurt Fuller. Yes. <laughs> Um, the only thing I know about it is Hulk Hogan makes a man poop his pants. That's the only part I remembered it as a kid. I've watched it as an adult. It, it's a it's a it's a crazy fucking movie. I've never seen it. I'd watch it. <laughs> I mean, is it more enticing to you than Sexy Mary Gross? I mean, nothing's more enticing to me than Sexy Mary Gross. Um, all right, I'll. I guess I brought Man of the House to the table last week, so... Oh, wait, is it? Is it my choice, is what you're saying? Um, I don't know. I don't know how it, how it works. I, do, I mean, yeah, we don't. We haven't really established a rule. I mean, I... I figured um, Man of the House was, was the option I brought to the table, so I guess in, uh, in force of a tie, a decision goes to you. Oh, so it's not that I'm ruling again. It's between uh, Mary Gross and... Uh, no holds barred, uh, or folks, or anything I mean, we've, we've brought up. I hate to dismiss all of everything you've brought to the table, but so far, no holds barred is the the best to me. Yeah, I, I, I'm fine with I that mean, decision. Well, let me just because I don't feel good about it now that you said said it this way. I want to roll one more time and just see if I get anything really good. I mean, it's a it's a fun bad movie. It's, it is okay. It's laughably bad in pretty much every scene. You will have a good time watching No Holds Barred. <laughs> and I, okay, well, the the ne- the uh, the next movie I got is one that probably you're going to nix anyway. So I got the Hottie and the Naughty starring Paris Hilton. Uh, that's uh, unfucking watchable. There's no way I'm watching that. I <laughs> once is uh, in 2008 is is plenty of times to see that movie. So I guess next week it's No Holds Barred, starring uh, Hulk Hogan, uh, who we've watched on, it connects to our podcast, we watched the Hulk Hogan SNL episode. Hulk Hogan so. is a SNL host, uh, I don't know, maybe after I watch No Holds Barred, I'll I'll find some other SNL connections. Which, was it, is it possible that this was what he was promoting at the time? Uh, no. He hosted oh, in 85, okay. this was like 89, 90. Ah, okay. Uh, uh. No Holds Barred, No Holds Barred, starring... Hulk Hogan in, oh, it's not his feature film debut, but his uh, leading man debut, because he was in and Rocky Three before that. And I, the, I'm remembering another thing about it from, like, behind the scenes. I believe him and Vince McMahon wrote it, like, in a weekend in a hotel room. Yes. They threw out the script and wrote it themselves. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and when you're watching that movie, yeah, it feels like that's what happened. I'm I'm comfortable with this choice then. No, it's it's a fun bad movie. You'll you'll have I think you'll have a good time with it. I mean, do you think you'll get enough out of it watching it again? Oh yeah. 
Because I mean, you've already seen it. I, I hate to like just have you watch something that you record with because you've already seen it. Oh no, I watched it as a kid, and I, I probably watched it about ten years ago or so. I think I caught All it right. on cable once. Well, then I guess we're going with it. All right. So next week, no holds barred. Until we see you again. Get off, Get off the, the shit. shit.